what the religious system couldn't truly offer them was forgiveness. They had to come back and make those sacrifices over and over mm-hmm. and over. And he's challenging them to forgive others. And whenever you stand praying, forgive if you have anything against anyone. Mm-hmm. So he's saying, you're going to have things in your life where you've been wronged and you have an obligation to forgive somebody. Yeah. And if you can't do that, then you're like the fig tree that's not producing life. When you think about the profound influence of the Bible on the world, the way that it has shaped our culture, whether you're a follower of Christ or not, it's probably a good idea that you know at least what it says. It's going to be about us taking and reading the Bible. Well, welcome back to the Take and Read podcast. Excited because... This is episode 53, which means if this if this podcast comes out on a weekly basis, yep. the 52 previous episodes represent one year of podcasting. Milestone. So this is a milestone. Yeah. And another milestone. This is my first guest from Montana. This is, I'm in my new spot. Uh, I'm in Montana, and so because it's a new guest, we haven't had a new guest for a while, and so if you are tuning in, when we have a new guest, there's some fun questions that we get to rabbit trail with uh, as we get in with this new <laughs> guest. So I have with me Howard Me Howard, uh, yes, uh, I met Howard. We we go to church together. We love the Lord. Uh, one of the things I enjoy about Howard is, like me, he is somebody who is just pretty matter-of-fact about the scriptures, about his walk, that if he sees something that the Word says you should do this, he's like, if I'm not doing it, why am I not doing it? And you try to address that. And so, yeah. Yeah, yeah I agree. Okay. I'm, I'm, I'm like super, <laughs> my personality is super black and white. Yeah. So like I, I say, I believe what I believe because I believe that it's right. And if I find out that I'm wrong, then I'll change what I believe. There you go. It's kind of the idea. You right? hold tight until... You until I'm wrong. Until you're wrong, <laughs> <laughs> drop it really quick. <laughs> yeah. So uh, excited to have Howard on the Take and Read podcast. Uh, so Howard, one of the things that I like to do with new guests is I like to learn a little bit about your experience with the Bible. Yeah. Uh, not everyone who tunes into this podcast uh, is a Christian, uh, is a follower of Jesus, but I encourage people to tune in and at least. Take the time to listen to people that actually believe this to be the Word of God yeah. and see how we interact with it, and that it's probably a good idea for them to interact with the the Bible because it's a profound influence on shaping our culture. Right. So tell me a little bit, if you can remember back to your earliest experiences with it and just what has been your relationship with the Bible over the years. So I, I grew up in the church. My mom was saved uh, when she was pregnant with me and... Um, when I was like five years old, my cousin, I think they were going through like a, an evangelism series at home or something. Okay. And she's like, Hey, do you want to get saved? And I was like, yeah. So we crawled into the, my cousin's <laughs> closet and we prayed a prayer and I was saved after that, you know, nice. so I grew up in the church around the word Sunday school and it was just a part of life, right? I just accepted it. And then it was around, um, seventh or eighth grade when I kind of stepped back and I was like, do I really believe this or is this just something that we do, right? Is mm-hmm. is this mine or is this just something I've picked up and inherited from my parents? And there's a little bit of a struggle time there. And then I had some 
a unique experience at Bible camp. And I walked away from that saying, I don't know if I buy that. Hmm. And that, that sent me into a journey that whole next summer of just studying my word and uh, the God's word and just looking at it and say, okay, this is, this is what I experienced. What do I actually believe about that? Mm-hmm. And that kind of launched me into studying God's word and, um, having a passion for studying his word. And then, then it just became sort of a part of my life. And there's been other milestones since then mm-hmm. where, you know, kind of you fall into these routines where it's a little dry, it's a little boring, and then you find something you're like, can't put it down. Like, right. this is amazing. How'd I not see this or, yeah, you know. So uh, as now that you, you're, you're grown and you've been reading the word of God for a while, is there through your kind of growing and engagement with the word, have you developed some, some kind of rhythms or habits or patterns around your ideal scenario, like when I'm dialed in and I'm reading the word this frequently and I have this space, like what what does it look like for you to engage the word ideally? It looks awful. <laughs> it looks like a thing of Swiss cheese, man. Like, so I, I, I work a lot of night shifts. Okay. So I don't have like a normal schedule, like guys that work Monday through Friday, nine to yeah. five kind of thing. Um, so I work like four night shifts and then I have, I'm off for three so that my life schedule is always changing. Um, and then just the seasons of life, things are changing. I get to preach sometimes. And so you throw in a week of study for preaching and it's just all consuming every day, all day long. That's all I do. And then when I rotate off of that, it's sort of like a, there's like a drop, there's like a Hmm. relaxing and stuff. So I don't have, um, your stereotypical Christian morning devotion with coffee right. kind of lifestyle. Everyone prescribes that, yeah, this daily devotion right. kind of thing, yeah. And I, I do my best. I like I need a daily dose mm-hmm. of God's Word. Yeah. But it doesn't have a very disciplined, regimented view. So right? you, you really benefit when you have an expectation to teach or preach the Word, that that kind oh, yeah. of forces this intense engagement Yes. where you're studying, studying. And do you see in those moments or in those seasons where there's a ton of growth you experience or a ton of just closeness or intimacy with God and you feel closer? Yeah. It, there's definitely a different level of engagement and understanding. So when I'm not preaching, I, I'm listening to audio, right? Or I'll sit down and I'll read when after I drop the kids off at school and mm. I have a little bit of time. Um, probably the most consistent kind of Bible reading is you know, my wife sits on the couch and I sit on the couch mm-hmm. after we drop the kids off and we just take a little bit of time and we talk about what we're studying and oh, what cool. we're reading at the time. But for sure, my best quality time is preparing to teach because you can't just read it yeah. and and just walk away and kind of forget it. You have to understand exactly what it says, why it says it, what's the context and what are those nuggets of truth that don't just lie on the surface. Mm-hmm. Like you got to, some of it you got to work for, you know. And when, yeah. you're, when you're putting in that kind of effort, in that level of meditation, I think you have a different relationship with the Word. Yeah. You know, in the, in the history of this podcast, a lot of times I'll have people on as guests that it's kind of their job to read the Bible. Yeah. So yeah. professional Christians, right. if you will, right. like pastors or missionaries or um, we've had a couple of, well, we had a seminary president from Ukraine on. And so there's people that, definitely it's kind of their job. Mm -hmm. 
but I always love to engage with folks that that have other jobs. And yeah. so you're a pilot. Yep. And particularly, you're you fly for uh, an emergency. Yeah, air ambulance. Air ambulance. So just like an ambulance, but in the air. But in the air. Yeah. Okay. So you're you're in these when you go to work. It's long shifts. Yep. And at any moment, you could get called up to transport. Yep. That's right. Uh, so you're working though an environment where, you know, how many of the other people there would would you say are Christians? So, I don't know. <laughs> okay. So, so part of the way my job is, I'm sitting by myself in the hangar. Okay. It's just me. Really. For twelve hours. There's nobody else. There's no one else because I like I said I mostly work night shifts. Yeah. So unless we get you know hey can we go take a patient to this place, um, I'm by myself right. So I'm just sitting in the hangar. Just me and the crickets and the mice, you know. So if we get a flight, then I have the med crew with me, and you okay. know, then I'm engaging with people. And there are there are a good number of of Christians that I do work with. I won't, uh, yeah, I don't want to call them all out, but yeah, I have a there's a good community of Christians that I okay. do work with, cool. which is which is awesome. So in those twelve hour shifts where you're alone in the anchor or the hangar, are you? Is that, are you ever like, I'm going to get in the word or is it when you're preaching, you're like, yeah, this is precious time because I have to be awake yeah. or do you have to be awake? No. Um, so it's pretty important that you're awake when you're flying. Yeah. <laughs> so, so you can sleep when you're yeah, not. So like if it's been a, a rugged day, I, I clock in pre-flight check weather, go to bed. Cause if I get a call, I need to be ready. Mm-hmm. But if, you know, I, I try to get a nap before I get there and I usually have a few hours before my normal bedtime. So if I am preaching that week. I use every minute I can because yeah. then I'm getting paid to study God's yeah. word. Hey, <laughs> come on now. Yeah. So yeah, I definitely try to take advantage of it, especially when I'm preaching. And then I I don't usually do a lot of Bible reading at work, hmm. but I do a lot of watching um, people preach on YouTube mm-hmm. or listening to like the panel discussions or listening to podcasts. So I do consume a lot of information, but it's usually not just sit down, open the Bible and read. Yeah. Yeah. Unless I'm preparing for a, a lesson or something. Yeah. Cool. Uh, the other thing that people, that people join the podcast and there's usually some figuring out and that has to do with in the morning, do you have a particular routine around coffee? Do you, are you a coffee guy? Yeah, a little bit. So you drink coffee. Yeah. First thing in the morning? All day. All day, every day. Day. So when you when you wake up, do you brush your teeth before you have coffee? No, no. Or do you get a cup of joe in? Yeah. Eat some breakfast, then brush your teeth. I feel like my teeth deserve my full attention. (laughs) (laughs) And so I gotta get that caffeine and get my body brain working. (laughs) And I don't want that crest flavor messing up my coffee there you go so okay I, i'm a i'm a post morning coffee brusher oh man welcome to the show <laughs> welcome welcome <laughs> to the podcast you're I'm in part of the team you'd be surprised i'm i'm fairly alone in that routine or yeah. that order of events yeah this is the odd this yeah is the, this is this is becoming less and less the norm from people that make comments or guests that are on a lot of people out there wake up they brush their teeth right away so it's minty fresh. Then they engage in their cup of coffee. And That's unfortunate. I just wonder the effects of everything. Like, do they brush after coffee again? Yeah. Because then you're rocking hopefully. all day with For coffee breath. Else's benefit, yes, hopefully, right? you get a double brush. <laughs> but I've never heard anyone 
articulate it the way you did in that you want your teeth to get your full attention. Yeah. And so unless there's caffeine, you're not fully alert. No. So you'll probably miss a few of them. You know, right. you don't want right. to do that. They deserve my best. <laughs> All righty. Well, we came to take and read the word of God. We have been making our way through the gospel of Mark. And we we typically take a a pericope or a passage of scripture that makes sense. So there are sometimes in groups. Yeah, various translations they'll separate out things, you know, the the chapter numbers, the verse numbers, the little headings, and those aren't in the original text. And right. so we understand that's a translation team that's kind of divvied it up that way. Um today's is gonna be a little bit longer because I think it would be hard to understand the whole without all of the pieces in it. Yep. And so if we were to subdivide it, it just wouldn't, I don't think we would capture what, what is going on here. Mark what? Where are we at? We are in Mark chapter 11. Okay. And, and just to, just for, for your sake and for those that may be tuning in for the first time, some of the ground that we've covered so far in the gospel of Mark is understanding it's the, the earliest uh, recording of the life and ministry of Jesus that we have. Uh, we understand that Mark was was writing mostly the content, if not all content, from Peter's preaching. So this is a product of Peter's preaching. And, and so we have this sense in which it comes from eyewitness account that Peter is, is recording and Mark is capturing, or Peter is preaching, Mark is capturing and recording the teaching of Peter so that as this is translated and um, circulated in that first century, it's coming from an eyewitness source. Uh, we understand too that just because uh, that we understand that the Word of God is inspired, in that it is the Spirit of God working through human personalities to communicate yep. everything He wants us to understand, yep. and that there are some some structure and some literary devices that authors will use because they would understand this to largely be an audible experience. It's going to be written down, but then it's going to be circulated in these house churches and they're going to read it out loud. And most of the people will interact with this audibly. And so there are ways in which uh, the authors will use uh, literary cues to help rem- them remember and kind of connect dots and make sense of things as they're processing this verbally. So uh, we have so far made our way through the first half, and we've kind of peaked the crest at chapter 8. And up until that point, uh, Jesus is demonstrating and preaching the gospel. And in, in Mark one fourteen, it says that he is um, preaching the gospel, telling them, to repent and believe the kingdom of God is at hand. And mm-hmm. so there's this sense in which the gospel has to do with the kingdom arriving. And then as Christ goes around, he's demonstrating the authority of, of the kingdom as the king of that kingdom by casting out demons, healing. Uh, he's calming storms. He's healing diseased people. He's doing the big, the small, the supernatural, the physical. Like he's hitting every realm to indicate I have authority over everything. He's also uh, spreading life where he goes, and he's demonstrating that that the the life of this kingdom is going to produce health. Yep. That when you are in this kingdom, you're going to experience life and not death, light and not darkness. 
And so he's spreading light and life as he goes around. And so when he heals people, that's that's a demonstration of what life is like in the kingdom. And and people start to recognize who he is. Another interesting thing that as I've made my way through the text in this podcast is recognizing how frequently the demonic will immediately obey him, yeah. but humans won't. Yeah. That he will tell demons to That's, do things and they will immediately, they know who they're well, dealing with. they know with. who he is. And the humans are like, eh. He's like, don't tell anyone. They're like, I'm telling yeah, okay, <laughs> I got it. And so they go tell the whole yeah. village or whatever. Uh, and so that's an interesting aspect of this. But there's that point in Mark 8 where he asks the disciples, who do people say that I am? Mm-hmm. And they're like, well, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah. He's like, who do you say I am? Yeah. Peter confesses, right? Yeah. And then there's this been this interesting cycle where he then immediately goes into and talks about the one of the elements of the kingdom is that he's going to suffer and die. And and so immediately when he gives that teaching, there's a failure on the part of the disciples to understand that. And he's like, Peter's like, what are you talking about? Yeah. Stop talking. Right. And so then he gets rebuked by Jesus. Yep. Then in a second time, he predicts the fact that he's going to suffer and die. And then there's the part of the disciples where they don't understand. Yeah. And so then he has to correct them. And then the final one, he, he gets into it and they're like, He's like, yep, the Son of Man's going to suffer and die. And I think the second one is where, or maybe it's the third one, where James and John are like, hey, can you do for us whatever we ask of you? And he's like, what, what do you want? And they're like, we want to be at your right hand. Yeah, he's, he's like, like, no, you don't. <laughs> oh, you're going you, to you get sure? the baptism I'm going to get, and you're going to drink from my cup, <laughs> yeah. but it's not what you think it is. Right. And so there's this interesting kind of three times he predicts his death and and the suffering that he has to go through. And then he enters Jerusalem. Yeah. And that there's that entrance, and that's what we've just come off of here. So okay. we're not going to read that part. Dang. I know, right? I love that. <laughs> I love that part of the story. And so he's just, the, the, what's, you know, in most Bibles, that heading, the triumphal entry. And so he's entered Jerusalem. And, and so then we're going to read this interesting passage that exists, be, or the verses 12 through 26. Okay. And it's an interesting couple of scenes here that he's now entered. Yeah. Uh, it says that uh, after entering Jerusalem, he kind of looks in the temple, and then he heads to Bethany, which is a small community outside of Jerusalem where he's going to crash for the night. Yep. So then he's going to get ready to go back in. And so that's where we pick up this okay. this text. Another thing to note is the, um, the twice uh, – in this process, he's been referenced as the son of David. So right before he enters Jerusalem, there's a blind man, Bartimaeus, who says, have mercy on me, son of David, have mercy on me. And he's like, what do you want me to do for you? And first people are like telling the guy to be quiet, Bartimaeus, be quiet, stop, don't bother him. And finally he's like, no, bring him here. What do you want? He's like, let me see, have mercy on me, let me see. And he wants to see his savior. He wants to see the son of David. So he grants it to him and he can see. Then he enters and there's, there. They're shouting loudly, blessed is the coming kingdom of our father, David, Hosanna in the highest. So there's this understanding of the fulfillment of the whole story, right? Everything that's been said is now coming to pass. So that's where we are. Okay. I'm with you. I'm reading out of the ESV. That's what I got up right now. Yeah. Cool. So I'm going to go ahead and we'll read 12 through 26. On the following day, 
when they came from Bethany, that is Jesus and his disciples, he was hungry and seeing in the distance a fig tree in leaf, he went to see if he could find anything on it. When he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for it was not the season for figs. And he said to it, May no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard it. And they came to Jerusalem, and he entered the temple and began to drive out those who sold and those who bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. And he would not allow anyone to carry anything through the temple. And he was teaching them and saying to them, it is, is it not written, my house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations? But you have made it a den of robbers. And the chief priests and the scribes heard it and were seeking a way to destroy him, for they feared him, because all the crowd was astonished at his teaching. And when evening came, they went out of the city. As they passed by in the morning, they saw the fig tree withered away to its roots. And Peter remembered and said to him, Rabbi, look. The fig tree that you cursed has withered. And Jesus answered them, Have faith in God. Truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, Be taken up and thrown into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will come to pass, it will be done for him. Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. And whenever you stand praying, forgive if you have anything against anyone, so that your Father also, who is in heaven, may forgive your trespasses. Okay, that's a big chunk. Yeah. And there's kind of three scenes yep. that we have here. So one of the first things I want to do is is wrestle with, do I and do we clearly understand what it says? Like, could we retell the story? Who's there? What's happening in these kind of three scenes that kind of we know the context we kind of understand some historical references if there are any but what does it say so first of all who do we have the disciples okay we have jesus yep um we've got this the, the where is he's, there's no crowds yet on the first section of the fig tree right because right. they're coming they're coming back from bethany coming around the yep. corner dropping down in jerusalem yep so, so they're it's just him and his crew yeah just them and he's hungry uh-huh. Sees a fig tree, yeah, and and what we can understand there's we don't we, we can't get into what type of fig tree and right. all the nuances. What we know is that something about it physically looked like it should have figs, yeah, and it didn't. It wasn't the season for figs. However, right. something about it made it look like it could have figs, and so there was a sense in which that should have figs, even though it's not the season. It still appears like it should because it's in leaf, and it's fruitless. And knowing that Jesus is Jesus, he knew it wasn't going to have figs before he went to the tree. Yep. So we know that what's taking place is for the benefit of the disciples. So the disciples are like, what's the deal with this fig tree? Like, what's his big deal here? And he makes a point to curse it, to express that he's hungry, it doesn't have figs, he's disappointed, and he curses the fig tree to say, may no one eat fruit from you again, and his disciples heard it. And they don't know... Right away, what that, what's going to be the result of that curse? They just are like, oh, okay. Yeah, he just and noticed that it, they remembered it. Went on with the day. Well, it's kind of odd. Yeah, it's kind of an odd thing, right? 
Like, okay. did, did he often curse? Yeah, pictures? we don't know if he cursed trees. <laughs> like that was part of the ah. you know weekly routine. <laughs> They're just bouncing, you know, heading back to Jerusalem. Oh, this honeycomb doesn't the, have honey. Yeah, ah, curse you, right. honeycomb. Right. <laughs> this jar of sugar is empty. <laughs> curse you, jar. <laughs> so I can see where that would stand out, right? Be like, what is he? Okay. Yeah. So they're heading into Jerusalem. So we got this little episode. Let's let's just keep this in the back of our head. There's this fig tree moment. And things that we need to know about the fig tree is that he was hungry. Jesus mm-hmm. was hungry. He, There was something about the appearance of the fig tree that would give the indication it had sustenance. Mm-hmm. It did not have sustenance. It had an appearance of health, right? Yep. And life and could give life yep. and it, it it wasn't healthy right therefore it was cursed okay i'm okay. with you that's what we know so then they they rock their way into the temple yeah so and it's this there's kind of this movie incident that happens right before that fig tree thing where jesus the triumphal entry happens there's all this kind of hip hip hooray loud noises and then there's this like quiet if if i was making the movie of this, this uh-huh. is, it would be like loud, loud, loud. And then I'd cut to this scene where Jesus just kind of peeks his head in the temple. Cause it says, and he entered Jerusalem and went into the temple. This is verse 11. When he had looked around at everything as it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the 12. It's like, yeah. he just sticks his yeah. head in there. He's like, it's late status it's check, quiet. It's empty. See you tomorrow. Yeah. And like he rolls out. Right. And so now he's about to go back to where he had been. Right. And so we're on the second day of the week, right? Of the yep. Passion Week, yep. right? He rides in. Yep. So you have that the Palm temple. Sunday experience. Yep. Now we're on out, day two. Stays in Bethany. He's coming back into town. Okay. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, so he comes into Jerusalem. He entered the temple. So he goes right to the temple, gets after it, and enters it and begins to drive out those who sold those and those who bought in the temple. So people that are exchanging money, they've got goods and money. Basically, anybody who's engaged in commerce in the temple, buying or selling of goods, is driven out. Uh, We have some understanding from other gospels how he does that. Yeah. uh, That he starts to... Makes a whip. Makes a whip and starts to get after it. Throws throws some some tables. Yeah. He's... he's, <clears throat> One thing I like about this this scene, like people like to jump to this scene as like a justification for their anger, like, well, right. gee, look what Jesus did. But I, I, in so much of his ministry, he's always telling people, okay, now don't tell anybody, right? Or he'll he'll leave town, be, says because the time was not right. Like he's yep. waiting for the timing, waiting for the timing. And there's um, a, like a part of so far his ministry has sort of been in the outskirts. Yep. Like, or subdued or yeah. on the DL. Yeah. So And he's kind of been, the, the people that he's been offending are sort of like Bush League. Well, now he's in Jerusalem. And he's in the temple. And he's in the temple. This is, this is home for their people, right? This yeah. is where the, the big, big wigs in the religion are at. Yep. So he's like, now's the time. Let's leave no doubt. Yep. So he's making a statement, not just to the people that yeah. are watching, but he's sort of making sure the timeline happens. Well, and, and to your point, something that we've seen is the parables. Yeah. As as he is approached, there's there's this point at which he's ministering in the north in Galilee. And right after the confession of Peter, we understand the timeline is that he turns his face to Jerusalem. Yeah. And he begins his his trek. His approach. And as he does so, there are parables that occur. 
And the parables are always meant to be understood by some and not understood by others. Mm -hmm. And so there's this kind of, he says the same thing, and there's a truth that is um, not cloaked, but but not obvious to everybody. Right. But to some, it resonates. And those are the p- people that have eyes to see and ears to hear. They they get it. But as he goes, if you'll notice, in the especially in Luke, if you start to watch these parables occur, the closer he gets to Jerusalem, the more offensive he intends to be, and the more obvious he begins to make these mm-hmm. these slaps to the face, where he's like, "I'm going to start to show." what I'm really saying about this. So, yeah, I think to your point, and then he arrives, and it's, now there's, let's leave no doubt. There's no there's no hiding what I'm about here. You guys have desecrated this place. What was meant to be a place of prayer and worship, you are turning into just a den of robbers and thieves. Yeah, yeah. Agreed, I'm with you. He wants to offend everybody that needs to be offended at this point. Let no one... He's trying to, to hit them all. Yeah. So that's what he does in the temple. My house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations. He asks in question rhetorically. And the chief priests and the scribes heard it and were seeking a way to destroy him. So now they're like, okay, he's... This cannot go on. Yep. This has to be stopped. Yeah, he's he's gone too far. Yeah, he's crossed the line. And they're now like, okay, what do we have to do? So... Because, it says, they feared him, because all the crowd was astonished at his teaching, and when evening came, they went out of the city. So there was something about, as he's doing this, it's not as though everybody's offended. The crowds weren't. The crowds weren't. They were astonished at what he was saying. They're like, okay, this this makes sense. Like, who is this guy? And the, the religious leaders are seeing, now that they're losing popular approval— Right? They're losing power or authority. And yeah, the, the ways in which maybe they're able to gain money. So yep. they're losing profit. And we see that other places like Paul, when he starts to, you know, jack with people's profit shares, yeah. they get really upset with yep. him and try to kill him. So there's ser- clearly something going on, but they're they're afraid of this Jesus. So Well he's he's spent three years with the people. Yeah. And everything that he has done for them. They, they, they recognize what he's done for them. He's been healing them, right? Mm-hmm. He fed them in a miraculous way. So if if they're the ones that are understanding the parables, he's gaining a base. Yep. Right. He's gaining. He's growing in popularity, and he's gaining a following. Not just the people that are literally following him, but people who are ascribing to what he's teaching, and they're getting on board. So there's a a political shift. Like if you're a scribe or a Pharisee, religious mm-hmm. leader, you're seeing that shift take place. Yeah. And there's a lot at risk now. Right? Yeah. They, they have a lot to lose. Yep, and so they're going to try to to cut it off. They're going to try to stop this this issue. They've got a a detractor, and they're not mm-hmm. they're not okay with that. And so then, the third scene. Let's make sure we understand this. As they passed by in the morning. Okay, so now we're on day three. Yeah, they passed by, uh, and. Presumably the same place. Like they went back to the same place in Bethany, crashed again because they probably didn't have lodging in Jerusalem. So they went back, they stayed at the place in Bethany, came back. So they're passing along the same pathway. Mm -hmm. There's the same fig tree. And Peter remembered 
and said to him, Rabbi, look, the fig tree that you cursed has withered. And then Jesus begins to teach some more. Uh, Have faith in God. Truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea, does not doubt in his heart and believes that what he says will come to pass, it will be done for him. Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. Whenever you stand praying, forgive if you have anything against anyone so that your Father also who is in heaven may forgive your trespasses. So it seems like if you had to summarize his teaching, what is he essentially saying to, as Peter's like, hey, that fig tree's dead yeah. that you cursed yesterday and it's now shriveled up. He's like, have faith in God. Yeah. His explanation at surface value, just reading through it just now, right? Seems like he's what he's trying to say is if you pray in faith, there's no limit to what the Lord can do. Right. Which is... Even forgiveness. Yeah, we don't know if that's related to, is that what he did with the fig tree? Like he had faith and he asked for it yeah. and now it's cursed? Or what I think is happening here is this is what's sandwiched between these this fig tree incident is the temple incident. Yep. And I think that we're supposed to understand something about what he is teaching and demonstrating in the temple for his disciples that they're to see something about the fig tree, that I think it's one of his final parables. Right. So if you... Yeah, go ahead. If you see a fig tree that looks like it's healthy, it looks like it can offer you life and sustenance, and you go to it looking for food because you're hungry, what good is it if Mm -hmm. it doesn't actually provide you what you need? And I think the temple and what was taking place at the temple might have looked really good, it might have looked like it was a source of life. And very spiritual or religious or the right thing to be doing because this they're the leaders. Like, right. why wouldn't it be the right thing? But it's a whitewashed tomb. Yeah. Right? He says, when you come to it for your basic need, you're not getting what you need. Yeah. Right? It's, it's missing what's most important in that, in that picture. So there's a, there's a, a connection between the, the appearance of, in the temple of religious behavior, of piety, yeah. of pleasing God, of worship maybe, and what people ought to do in order to get right with God. But it, it's a fruitless fig tree. It has leaves, but it's it's not producing fruit. It'll leave you hungry. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's not going to provide sustenance for right. you. It's right. not accomplishing what you want it to accomplish, what you're hoping it can accomplish. And so then how does that then relate to this teaching where he's talking about faith and prayer, this this posture before God, that this is truly what is, – is he saying that this is actually the fruit of the fig tree? Like this is what the fig tree should have produced, a faith and a – an approach to God, a confidence in the Lord, and a a relationship with the Lord through prayer, this will produce. Whereas these people in the temple, they don't have a faith. Yeah. Because he says, yeah, my house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations. Right. So in, in verse 22, he says, have faith in God. And then in verse 23, he talks about prayer. And in verse 24, he talks about receiving a response from that prayer. Yeah. So he's he's talking about relationship. Yeah. 
He's, he's saying that if, if you communicate with your God and you have faith in him and what he can do, that's, that's a picture of a relationship versus what they had been presented to them, mm-hmm. which was religion, religion and rules and a yep. process. And the prayers probably weren't actual communication. It was probably just out of habit, out of routine. We say these things, we kill these animals, and then we move on. Mm-hmm. And he's saying that doesn't give life. What gives life is faith and true communication in relationship with God. Yeah. By that? Yeah. I think that's spot on. I think the it's amazing how the lesson of the fig tree resonates today. Um, we don't have temples per se that we're going to, but we have houses of worship. Yep. And we have we have a tendency as humans to create religion, to generate systems and practices that we put a confidence in rather than a relationship and a pursuit of, of the Lord. And, and so I think that there's some, man, there's some resonating here, especially as a pastor. Yeah. I, I'm the guy that, (laughs) you know, the, the challenge for me, especially, um, I get to travel all over the, the globe and visit the church, the global church. Right. And it's in the United States where it's the most programmed and most systematized. And so it's very easy to begin to, to lose sight of what, what these programs or these things that we, we try, these efforts we make in events and programs at churches where they're a vehicle through which we hope people are drawn closer to Christ. They grow, grow in relationship with him, but it's so easy for us to start putting our confidence in the, the process yeah. and the program <clears throat> Yeah, that if we just do it, it'll all, it'll fix it. And we lose that it's, that's a mechanism for relationship, but it can go off the rails real quick. Yeah. And it's, it's a hard, it's a hard thing to think about and it's a hard thing to balance because as a, as an organization, as a church, mm-hmm. you want to provide a way for people to serve and you want to provide a way for people to have their needs met, right? So you youth group, how do we reach these teenagers? So we develop a program, mm-hmm. which is all good. I think that's a really great idea. The, I think the problem that comes in is that when we, we as individual Christians participate in a ministry versus being a Christian mm-hmm. who ministers. Yep. So sometimes it, I, I've been thinking about this lately and talking about this a lot, that it, I've spent a lot of time in ministries. Mm-hmm. And I was very sincere, and I'm, I'm still very passionate about it, but in a lot of ways it's the easy way out where I can say, dude, look at all the hours and years I've spent, quote, unquote, doing ministry. Yeah, put in the time. Yeah, and, and I meant it, and I was sincere. And, and it had an effect, but it still ends up in some ways being um, an easy way out from what Christ is actually calling me to do, mm. right? Mm-hmm. It sort of becomes a crutch where as long as I'm busy doing a ministry, mm-hmm. then I can sort of unintentionally lose sight of the, what Christ is actually calling me to do. It's a lot more difficult sometimes. Which he says is exercising faith and prayer. Yeah. And intimacy and 
dying to self and humility and humiliation and all the fun stuff, yeah. <laughs> right? Um, how do you think? How do you think some of the people here that either it's the disciples or maybe those in the crowd that are hearing his teaching? So you think the second trip around the fig tree, there's people? No, I'm thinking okay. in the temple when it says that um, the crowd was astonished at his teaching. Yeah. And then you have this lesson with the fig tree again for the disciples. So they're the only ones. The disciples saw all three scenes. They saw the first fig tree episode, the temple, and then this one. How do you think – What are some? what is this meaning for them? And then a second layer would be what does this mean for the original audience of this gospel in the first century that maybe heard of this incident – Maybe we're around Jerusalem when this all went down. But what are some of the things that this means for them, what Jesus has done? He just went into the temple, and he wrecked shop. He's been talking and indicting the religious leaders of the day, but he physically went in, and he started like breaking things and destroying the most sacred spot yeah. in the life of Judaism, physically wrecking shop yeah what does this mean for them i (laughs) i think it i think it depends on who you are in that in the crowd right right so if it it symbolizes the death throes of this religious structure that they've built he's like this is no more right there's a real true genuine that's about to take place in three days or four days from now, yeah. right? So if you are a follower of this rabbi as he's doing these teachings, it probably makes a, a ton of sense and you're just like, yes, this is about to yeah. go down. He, Even if you don't fully get it, you're committed and you understand that he's the Messiah, whatever that means, right? The disciples are still struggling to fully understand what it meant, but they got this idea that you are the Christ, the Son of God, yeah. right? So to them, it's probably just like super exciting, like, He's he's doing it, right? He's tearing down this system that has separated us from God, kind of. Yeah. And they 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 the people that are there every year, they see the hypocrisy. Right. They understand the corruption. And for someone to finally have the grit to stand up and yeah. wade into that and start kicking over tables. So like those people are probably really excited. Really stoked. Like things are about to go down. Yep. This is the Messiah we've been waiting for, and they have a picture of what that's in their head, yep, yep. and they're just like licking their chops, like, <laughs> okay, here we go. Like all yes. those prophecies are about now. If you're if you're someone who's on the fence or someone who's on the outside, or we're you know just a regular Jew who might not be that serious about your faith, and you're just sort of walking through the process, it's still going to get your attention, right? You're, I would if I was there with my family and I wasn't seriously invested in the Messiah, and this stuff started happening. I'd be like, okay, kids, let's go. Like, let's gather up the kids and let's get out of town because it's going to get ugly. Like, yeah. you don't do that, right? This guy's going to get in trouble. Things are going to get ugly. And I don't know if I want to be here with my family when it goes down. Yeah. So it, and I, I certainly don't want to be associated with the guy. Right. Yeah. <laughs> right. So I think it what it means, it, it changes on who you are in the crowd. Yeah. Right. And for the disciples, I don't know, man. I, I just keep getting hung up on that verse 25 says for whenever you stand praying forgive if you have anything against anyone so that your father also who is in heaven may forgive you your trespasses it's just 
I keep, I don't know why my mind keeps coming back to that. He's says, have faith in God. And he says, no matter what you pray for, right? Mm -hmm. Whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. And it's, and then he ends with this praying for forgiveness. I, I think that's going to end up playing a big role in their life Mm -hmm. in the days to come. Cause what, what the religious system couldn't truly offer them was forgiveness. They had to come back and make those sacrifices over and over Mm -hmm. and over. And he's challenging them to forgive others. And whenever you stand praying, forgive if you have anything against anyone. Mm -hmm. So he's saying, you're going to have things in your life where you've been wronged and you have an obligation to forgive somebody. Yeah. And if you can't do that, then you're like the fig tree that's not producing life. And we know that Judas is about to do some really rugged things. Mm-hmm. We know that Peter is about to go through a rough patch in his his walk. Yeah. And there's when that circle reunites, especially prior to Christ coming back, there's going to be some awkward looks in the room and some uncomfortable conversations. Yeah, And a, a, to be able to forgive is going to be hard. And I wonder if that particular lesson those so there's three things there there's faith yeah there is prayer and and going to god for whatever you need and yep. then there's forgiving your brother um that these things then are are he has just uh indicted the existing religious authorities mm-hmm. in f and in the process, he's teaching the future leaders that he's going to work through in, as the leaders and, and founders of the church. Right. And he's trying to build on the, them on a foundation of complete and utter faith in God, not in yourself. Right. A need for him and dependence on him and a forgiveness of one another. Yep. Because you're going to fail. You need him and you need to forgive each other. Yep. And others. Yeah. So when when he does, he is hanging on the cross. He says, "Father, forgive them. They know not. They don't know what they're doing." Right. So he's talking about the people who own the chairs and the tables that he just kicked over too. Yeah. So it's not just a forgiveness in that inner circle. It's forgiveness against right. these people. And I think that for those of us who have grown up in church and have spent a long time in that church culture, it's inevitable that we're going to get hurt. Yeah. We're going to see the mistakes, and we're going to see where. We, the, the quote unquote church didn't get it right. Yep. And it's really easy to get damaged and not be able to forgive those people. Yeah, buddy. And that affects mm-hmm. that relationship and that faith. Yeah. All right. So if you had to articulate a takeaway for you personally, Howard sits here as a husband, a father, a son, a pilot. I'm glad I'm not a fig tree and not a fig tree. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I think, yeah, I think that's it for me. That's the challenge to don't pretend that you're something that you're not. Yeah. Right? Don't pretend to have something to offer if you don't. So the, the challenge for me, I, kn- I know what life is mm-hmm. and I know where that source of hope comes from. And that if my kids are coming to me and the people that I serve with are coming to me and they need life, right? Yeah. If I'm going to hold myself out there, then I need to be tied into his word so I have something to share. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and to be able to have something to share, I need to have a faith Connect. in him. Yeah, a connection. A prayer life with him 
like a, a constant intimacy or relationship with him. And I need to be willing to forgive. Even when I have every right not to, I need to be willing to forgive. Yeah, that's really good, man. And in order for me to be able to give life to people, because that's the life I got. Yeah. I got life because I was forgiven. Yeah. Not because I earned it or I was got like on this lucky track or something like that, but he forgave me, therefore I have life. And so life happens when we forgive people and we don't hold them accountable to what they totally deserve. Yeah, that's good. So, um, man, Howard, thanks for being here. Yeah, dude. Uh, me. I want to encourage folks, if you listening to this podcast, if anything that we talked about, if you have comments about that, please leave that in the comment section. If you have questions, you can email me, takeandreadpodcast at gmail.com. If you have a question for Howard, you can email me at that e- email address, and I'll make sure he gets the question. And if he has a response, I'll get that back to you as well. But I want to encourage you, if, uh, if you are new to this thing of the Bible, I want to encourage you to continue to reading it. And you're going to read it. There's going to be things you don't understand. And just like you saw us wrestle with it. And if there's something that just is Hank, Howard was, there was a particular uh, passage that he's like, I just, I I have to deal with this too. I can't just, because I don't understand it or I don't, I don't, it doesn't fit. I I can't go past it. Wrestle with it. Keep wrestling with the word of God. Uh, It's absolutely worth it. And Get into a Bible study. There's tons of commentaries and resources out there of people that study these things. So look, uh, study, but don't settle, um, but continue to wrestle with it. If you've heard this message uh, today and you're not sure what you think about this whole thing about Jesus and who he uh, claimed to be, who he demonstrated he was, uh, keep wrestling with that as well. If you want to talk to me about it, email me. If you want to talk to Howard, email me. I'll make sure he gets your contact info. But we believe it. We think this is truly the Word of God. Yeah. We think that the creator of the universe chose to communicate to us a very specific time and place through his word and that we have that here. And in this is life. We think that this is him communicating how we can live and experience a flourishing life. And so uh, I want to encourage you to keep wrestling. And uh, I want to... Yeah, thank you for participating. Please comment, like, share, do all the stuff you're supposed to do with podcasts so more people can find out find out about us because ultimately I want people taking and reading the Word of God because that's what we came here to do and <laughs> yeah. we're better for it. So go take and read the Word of God. Blessings. <laughs>